Hi, this is Giuseppe. Hi, this is Anthony. And you're listening to For the Love of Sophia. A philosophy podcast brought to you by the Public Philosophy Project. If you have any questions or suggestions, feel free to email us at publicphilproject at gmail.com. Enjoy the ride. What's up, guys? Welcome back for this part two of our discussion on music. Um, so many things to say. <laughs> so many things to say. Um, so in the last episode we did uh, a lot, we first tried to think about some basic, either necessary conditions or essential properties, I suppose you could say, of music. And then we tried to look at what the the process of music making was like, mm-hmm. and wound up ending by getting into this idea that if there is collaboration, um, the relationship between the collaborators, if it's a good one, is very intimate. Mm-hmm. And it can't be just swapped because when it comes to music, it's it, it's not music is not just like a physical activity with certain properties that can be replicated. Um, it's almost like I was thinking someone being like, "Well, why don't you just get another wife?" <laughs> you know, well, it's like, so, what, sometimes might be a good idea, you know. Uh oh, uh oh. Like you can't just why don't you get a new best friend? Like you can't just. These things aren't interchangeable, Agreed. and they might seem more interchangeable because you're like, yeah, but it's just, it's not this whole life value thing. It's just playing this thing that you wrote, and it's it's not that simple. No, it's not that simple. And I'm wondering, you know, considering that we are still a philosophy podcast, right? I'm thinking if this specific way of doing things or creating stuff, right? It's indicative of what of what what it means to make things in general, right? If mm. there is a, there are some necessary, not changeable things that need to be there in order for a creation of any sort to be good, like beyond music, right? Mm. Uh, if it's true of all <clears throat> art, if it's true of, of anything, and in general. Uh, if we want to move from the creation aspect, if if there is something that happens within a specific group of people versus a general group of people that cannot be replicated, right? If there are some specific properties, and we don't have to talk about this because we will derail probably our conversation on music in general, but I'm wondering, I'm thinking out loud here, if, you know, there are some specific, if the specific characteristics of the individuals that are part of a group are fundamental when it comes to whatever the group does Mm. as a group uh, after all right it seems like it right because um i think this is i don't think this has to derail us um because i was thinking about aristotle in 
Nicomachean Ethics, he talks about this idea that things need certain qualities in order to function well, mm -hmm. in order to have or be arete, like the excellence of something. Yeah. And that's true whether you're talking about a hammer uh, or a plant or being a good person or, I think, making music. And I think it's really interesting because to, to take like a meta conversational step right now, we're doing something that I don't know if you would agree with doing this, but I think it was very common in medieval philosophy that usually we're skeptical of, yeah. which is we're seeing overlap between uh, being and the good. Yeah. Right. We're, we're talking about like what is music and what is that process like? And we're we're having difficulty separating the being totally from the being good. And that could be because we're doing something wrong and we're not being careful but that doesn't seem to be the case. Like, I don't know if having this conversation is is a little bit making me think not totally differently, but kind of skeptical of, of my, my previous viewpoint on what I would see um, in another moment in my history as something like a, a sloppy conflation. I don't know. I know what you're saying, and, and I'm wondering if there is. And it's possible we're making a mistake, as you're saying, right? But I also feel that in the – and maybe this comes from our specific history again as both of us being involved with this thing intimately. Uh, I, I, do, I say this all the time, more or less jokingly, but I kind of think about I, – I think that this is true. That there is definitely good music, right? There is bad music. And then there are things that people pretend to be music, but it's not music at all. Right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, That's funny. And that – Meaning that there are certain artists, if you want, if you want to call it certain musicians, that yeah, we call them musicians, but is that really music what they're making, right? Hmm. To the point of what you were saying that 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 the being good, it is being in that case. Yeah, because like if you have a hammer, yeah, and the hammer is not hammering. Yeah, is that even a hammer? <laughs> it's not even a ha right. So it seems like if the music isn't musicking, yeah. if there's no excellence, it seems like it it is less right. To use kind of um, Platonic language and even I guess Aquinas. Yeah. yeah, but the thing you said earlier about certain properties belonging to members as being essential to their music. Mm -hmm. It's definitely true. And I think for like a concrete examples of this, look at bands that have changed members over time. Oh, that's nothing more maddening than a band that you like that changes members. Yeah, and sometimes the member swaps are okay. And in those situations, it may be because, maybe because the focal point is not that thing. It takes a back seat. Um, or because the one that got swapped in the one that got swapped out wasn't that essential in the first place yeah. or something like that. Yeah. Um, and maybe it works if the band goes in a totally different direction. But there are times when that's certainly not the case, right? And it's not to say that the person is not good. It just makes a different product. Like something I'm thinking is uh, one of, well, I mean, my favorite band of all time at least contemporary, I always said was this band Coheed and Cambria. Mm -hmm. And they were the band that got me into like progressive rock and mm -hmm. post-hardcore. And I usually say them and Pink Floyd, like a mm -hmm. combination of these things mm -hmm. made me who I am. Um, 
their original drummer was this guy named Josh Eppard. And in the early Coheed music, it, it's like almost like hip-hop drums. It's just so heavy-footed on the kick drum, really high-pitched cracking snare, and a hi-hat. Mm-hmm. And of course, there's technical stuff, but there's just something so groovy about the way this guy is playing, especially mm-hmm. on, on the first three albums, but it's like super emphasized on, on the first two. And at some point, he left the band because he had a drug problem. So he got kicked out Mm -hmm. and they replaced him with this guy, Chris Penny. And Chris Penny is an amazing drummer. He was the original drummer for this New Jersey band, the Dillinger Escape Plan, Mm -hmm. which was another progressive band. But they were super heavy, like Mm -hmm. the kind of music that when people listen to them, they're like, this sounds like garbage cans banging, (laughs) right? Because it's just like free jazz but with yeah. metal yeah right it's just like what is going on you have to really focus on the time signature stuff yeah. but he's amazing right he's i think he's one of the greats and he replaced uh josh Eppert and coheed for a number of years and theoretically he's a much better technical player and i know chris like he's a very nice person we actually work with him on the the last ep we did he's an, he's amazing at production he's super cool and again, one of the greats. But like, there was a noticeable stylistic difference in in the way the music was played. And like, the two drummers could play one song, rather, the band could play one song with two different drummers, and it sounds really different. And it has something to do with the fact that the original drummer, I think, he played a little bit more what you would call behind the beat. Mm-hmm. So that gave it this element of like groove. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas Chris played more like on the beat or ahead of the beat, whereas more like technically precise. Mm-hmm. And these are like microscopic, microscopic differences in an objective sense, but they lead to really, really, really different consequences as a listener. Absolutely. And actually, I was reading recently this, this book by um, this guy, Tiger Roholt, who was one of my old professors back in the day, called uh, Groove. It's like a phenomenology of rhythmic nuance. And he talks about this in the context of the Beatles and how there was like three different versions of, was it Love Me Do? Um, And these little microscopic differences result in something different in your perception. But the short version of what you're saying is, I think, yeah, these, these properties... They seem like little changes. They have really big differences in the perception of the thing and, and in fact, what the thing is. Which is interesting. And and I think there's consequences. So musically, this is super evident. And I think there are like, there's some evidence, super evident things that are not even that microscopic, right? If you think about, I don't know. Uh, think of an old band that maybe most people have heard of, like Black Sabbath, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That is the Aussie Black Sabbath. Oh, and then the Dio. And that is the Dio Black Sabbath, right? Heaven and Hell. So if you ask me, two different bands, mm. right? And I know everybody else is the same. I know the sound is very similar, but the band changes, right? And I think that that is super evident. Uh, and this is, for example, I remember um, R.E.M. at a certain point, the drummer had an issue. I think he had a stroke or something like that. Mm. And they purposely decided not to replace him. 
they will have like just somebody playing the drums, but it wasn't part of the band, kind of. And I think that the the conscious uh, and you know the conscious choice was like if we bring somebody in that is now one of the four of us that grew up together uh, and they've done this together, that will change not only the dynamic but the music really. So we'd rather do without and have almost a machine playing things, right? That than than having it's that. like cheating on your significant other and pretending as if the person you're having an affair with is that person. The, yeah. Yeah. And, yeah, uh, no, and I think your your two Black Sabbath era, eras is a good one. Because I'm thinking like if people want a reference point. So for the thing I said, I'd be like, okay, go listen to the album version of the Coheed song yeah. Time Consumer. That's the original drummer who's back in the band now. Mm-hmm. Versus listening to a live version um, from this concert they did called Never Ender to see Time Consumer with Chris Penny. And you'll hear a big difference, and not just because it's live or not. And with Ozzy, I'd be like, okay, go listen to something off Paranoid or, or um, Masters of Reality, you know? And then go listen to the song Heaven and Hell exactly. with Dio. Exactly, exactly. And it's, these are easier, you know, you, I think it's easy to go and see those things, that, which I think is the beauty of, of this conversation that we're having, that finally people can actually go and be like, what are yes. you talking about? This is what they're talking about. Yes, yes. Um, Regarding the general conversation we're having about the property of the members being essential for what it results out of it, right? For what the collective is and the way it presents the product to the collective. Um, I think that there is a case to be made that if we extrapolate that from music, then we can get into discussions that we don't want to get into. Uh, mm-hmm. I think there is a there is a general way in which we can we can go in directions that are not super popular nowadays, but they're interesting. I'm trying to think of something uh, that can be said uh, that that's almost not controversial, but I don't seem able to. <laughs> I think I know where you're going with this. <laughs> to, to, to find anything like that, anything yeah, like yeah. that, anything that is like so the general way of saying what you're saying. Totally abstract would be to say that there are some actual actualities that are essential properties to, let's say, the being or the identity of the thing, right? Yes. That like swapping out um, does result in some, some fundamental shifts, right? Yeah, and I know what you're thinking now, but I don't – my what I was thinking was something different. But that, that's part of it too, yes. Yeah, you know, I think it's funny because maybe I'm thinking something different than you're thinking, and maybe you're thinking I'm thinking so. so I don't know. We'll talk about this afterwards. We'll clarify this after the episode. But there, yeah, it's funny because sometimes there's a difference, um, and it it doesn't work, and then there's instances where it works and it's different, and then there's instances. Where, like, no, it works, and both versions are very good but different. Mm-hmm. And when I think of that, I actually think of King Crimson. Okay. So the original King Crimson, like, late 60s, early 70s, was this one group of people um, headed by, was it Greg, Greg Lake, I believe? Um, I and guess. that's, like, in the, in the court of the Crimson King. Yeah. 
right? Which is the the album cover everyone knows, but like the, you know the the guy's weird face, yep. which is a wonderful album, first prog rock album, very much ahead of its time. But anyway, King Crimson changed, and '80s King Crimson was like mostly different. The guitar, uh, the vocalist, the guitarist were different. They got this guy Adrian Blue, and still a prog rock band. But a totally different sounding prog rock band, but one that was very good and influential nonetheless. Yeah. So you have something like 21st Century Schizoid Man or Epitaph um, or the, the title track on the album versus like Frame by Frame or Three of a Perfect Pair from the 80s King Crimson. Yeah. Totally different. Um but both good. Yeah. I'm trying to think, do you have things in mind where you think there was a swap and it was like not just different or like a little bit iffy, but like ruined it? Like, do you have stuff in mind uh, when you're thinking that? I was thinking of, I was thinking of things that's still different. I was thinking actually of something that's of a band that I think your generation okay. is more into. I, I, I like them too, but. Like Sublime, right? Okay. Oh, Sublime with Rome. Something yeah. changed, right? Right, and right. Didn't it kind of ruin it? <laughs> so I, I know Sublime. I'm not like a huge Sublime fan, but I know it's a it's the front man, right? Like how do you replace like the, the main guy? Yes. It's almost like it's not the same, but how uh, Queen still plays, but with... um. Adam Lambert, because yeah. he's a good singer, instead of Freddie Mercury. Yeah. Oh, uh, actually, you know what? Mm, this might be more controversial than what I think. Oh, I'm ready. When it comes to, to, to things that might have ruined it. Like Van Halen. Yeah. And David Lee Roth. And getting changed for Sammy Hagar. Yeah. I think that's very... Everyone thinks that. Everyone... Oh, okay. th- like, my good. my dad... Is big on like, and then it's not Van Halen anymore. Like when this one, oh, okay. swap so, so that's a good, that's a good idea of. Uh, then I'm thinking of a good thing that ruined it. I think a lot of people think that um, okay. in terms of classic rock. I mean, there's the Pink Floyd after Roger Waters left, which was I I think like the Division Bell. Yes, because the final cut was the last one Roger Waters on, and there are people that like that album a lot, but very different sound. When David Gilmore took total control, as opposed to it being like, what would you say that ruins it? It's it's a very different because Roger Waters is an interesting guy for many reasons, <laughs> um, in and out of the music. Yes, but he wasn't the guitar player. Right, he was the bass player yeah. and the sometimes singer and the primary songwriter, at least post Sid Barrett. Which, okay, there we go. That's one. Yeah, that's one. When you talk about Pink Floyd, basically no one's talking about the Sid Barrett era Pink Floyd. Yeah, right. The thing that people think of when they think of Pink Floyd is like from metal to the wall. If you're being generous, the final cut. And mm-hmm. if you're being really strict, you would say Dark Side of the Moon to the Wall or something. That's like the Pink Floyd, the the dream team, right? That, that is Roger Waters' era, pretty much. And that's when it was collaboration, but Roger Waters was kind of in charge. Mm-hmm. And I think they had a very contentious relationship in the band. Oh, and now they have a very contentious relationship outside of it. Um, and even though like David Gilmore was always 
at the forefront, like the star, because of his voice being so dreamy and beautiful mm-hmm. and his guitar playing be, being so unique to him. That's another thing, by the way, pause. If someone tries to play David Gilmore solos, it's not going to sound like David Gilmore. Of course not. Even if you replicate the objective properties and like this, people spend their lives collecting um, all of his pedals and all of his amp arrangements. It's not going to sound the same. What's the website? Gilmore-ish or something like that? There's these forums online. Anyway, um, even though on the division bell, it's like, oh, yeah, David Gilmore still at the forefront playing guitar and singing. The sound is totally different. So these things, I think what you're saying is right, basically. Mm-hmm. No, agreed. It's, there's multiple. We have found multiple uh, instances of that case. And classic rock is a good example because... It's accessible to everybody, right? Right, exactly. Everyone will know these things. Because if we start going to... If I start talking about obscure British bands... Mm. then I'm talking to myself pretty much, not even to you. Well, what was it? It was after Chris Cornell died, they had Chester Bennington from Linkin Park temporarily? Uh, no, that was for Stone Temple Pilots. Oh, that was Stone Temple Pilot. That was, was um, Scott Weiland. Scott Weiland, yes. Okay, see, I'm confusing my grunge guys that's right okay. now. Um, so, yeah, but if that's true, again, there's some co- so many consequences. And I thought of an example that we can use actually outside of music. Sure. You remember we're doing our walk and talk? Uh, with um, when we went to the to the preserve, the one headed by Julia. Yes, the one headed by yes. Julia. Okay. Then we all had the discussion of what makes the preserve and stuff like that, and that specific preserve, right? And we were saying that there needs to be that the the that the effort of the preservationist is to keep the ecosystem looking kind of the way it is in that moment, right? Okay. And if all of a sudden there is another species taking over, if there is um, something that changes radically, literally the environment in that case, then the preserve will not be the preserve anymore. Mm-hmm. And this is because of the essential properties that plants and the fungi in that specific place and even the form of disease that the plants get in that place, it is it gives that preserve its identity, right? Mm-hmm. And the moment you would change some of the characteristics of that, the moment we would change some of the essential properties of the members, um, then things will will really the thing would not be it anymore. It will be something else, right? Either it would be something else, literally, or be a less good version of the thing it is. Yes, right. These are the uh, these are the different ways of thinking about it. Yes. I think that's right. Yeah. Yes. So. It's interesting, I think, when it comes to music, because then every musician is bringing something to every musician in a band, in an ensemble, whatever it is, is bringing something there. Which sounds like a cliche, but it's true. I mean, and, this is why things change. Even another example that's a young example, you're, you're going to be like, what is this stupid stuff? But um, I know because you've told me this, but Paramore, like the original Paramore, he's rolling his eyes, the original Paramore. Uh, was like one type of band with these people. And then the Paramore that exists now is like, Haley Williams is still fronting it, and I, I love her voice. Um, but it's totally different members. And the music, st- like it started off as kind of, I don't want to say pop punk, because it was a little more musically interesting than the four chords thing. It was almost like a... yeah. Pop punk, light post hardcore emo thing, and then 
it became it's like very 80s pop and rock influence mm-hmm. now which is some of this stuff is like very cool set but but it's a it's a different band no no absolutely uh and yeah that makes sense that does make sense and not my favorite band in the world but yes oh i know i had to bring <laughs> it up um i wonder you know and if that's the case i think there's a specific there's a specific how can we say uh, situation when this is or can be evident or maybe it's a counterexample to what we do, to what we're okay. saying. Sure. And I'm thinking of two <clears throat> versions of the same thing. First of all, when in classical music, different orchestra play mm. the original script from Beethoven or whatever it is, right? Or through cover bands. What's happening there, right? Can there be, are there cover bands that are better than the original? Or do cover bands hmm. bring something different to the table that can be as enjoyable or as good? Is the reproduction of that something by someone else be still? That's a great question. So... Yeah, covers are interesting. So orchestras, I'm not as well-versed in classical music, so I can't speak too much to it. But from what I I know, people still have preferences for certain versions. Absolutely. Um, Like, I remember I was trying to get hold of a bunch of classical music a couple years ago to, like, really listen to stuff. And one of the, the, like, two of the people I gravitated towards was Satie, and Debussy, mm-hmm. and there's like different piano players, right? And people are like, oh, this one's the, on forums I read, this one's the better one. So it seems like, like people get really attached to music. And yeah. I think that's kind of important when examining the question you asked, like, what are you doing? When you make music, when you're listening to music, when you're seeking music, when when you're being with music, it has to be. It's something so, 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 so not only intimate, but like truly passionate and very primal. Like It's got to be, yeah. It's it's this non... I'm going to force you to say something that you usually don't say. This like pre-linguistic or non-linguistic thing that when you verbalize it, you're you're always missing something and it kind of sounds funny when you verbalize it too this this version from 1970 whatever is the better version because the voice does this thing at this time like people get really 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 attached and heated and I, i that has to tell us something very specific about what music is um so that's something i want to get to but before we lose the other thing you said the cover band thing mm-hmm you know, what? what is a cover band? We're, we're trying to play songs we like. I mean, in a lot of cover bands, the goal is how can we sound as much like the band as possible? Yes. Like, I actually saw, so you guys can't see, but I'm wearing a Red Dancing Machine shirt, sure. Evil Empire. And years back, like when I was in high school, I saw some cover band called uh, The Battle for Los Angeles play at Starland. Um, we went there. There was also a, an Alice in Chains cover band and then a Pearl Jam. 
I saw Led Zeppelin band. cover band. Man, they look from afar; they can fool you. Was it the all female one, Les Zeppelin? No, no, no. It was a uh, no. It was guys and man, they were dressed and looked. Again, from afar, you'd be like, Robert Plant is playing. And then you go there and, sure. and there's like acne and stuff like that. It's just not, it's not, him. <laughs> not, not him. But when I saw this band, it was like, okay, clearly the goal is to sound as much like, and, and to almost impersonate them. Impersonate, right? Like the way the body movements and uh-huh. the way they dress. And clearly, Tom Morello has a very distinct guitar sound. And yeah. so the guy's like, okay. I have these single coil strat like guitars and I'm using the whammy pedal and I'm using these old Marshall amps. But then sometimes I, I think this is less of the case with cover bands, but more so with covers themselves. There are covers where you try to sound not like the thing. Yeah. And oftentimes those are really good. Different versions of it. Different versions. Like sometimes I have this conversation uh with my friend about can we think of cover songs that we like more or that we think are better than the actual version? And there are a couple that that I think about that are really good. Some of them that sound in the spirit of the original and some of them not. Like a cool cover that Claire likes is Adele covers Love Song by The Cure. Have you heard this? No, I haven't heard this one actually. Is quite good it's and good. it's different because it's okay. Adele. It's not. It's not like a band. It's cool. a lot like calmer and yeah. slower. Um, so you said you like Death Cab for Cutie, right? I do. Does that mean you like the Postal Service? Of course. Well, okay. Not as much, but yes. So you know the song "Such Great Heights." Of course. All right. So this band, band, this guy who performs under the name Iron and Wine, mm-hmm. has a cover of "Such Great Heights." Okay. That I think is better than the original. Okay. And it's not at all electric. It's just acoustic. Hmm. And it's so minimal and breathy. Hmm. And that's one where I'm like, oh man, like I like this one better than the original. And I mean, do certain covers like this stand out to you? Oh yes, there is, for example, um and again, we're going ancient here for, for yeah, most no, of the people I listening. Hear it. Uh so Duran Duran. Mm-hmm. Save Prayer. I don't think I know that. Uh, the, hold on, let me make sure. Wait, that. the Duran Duran version is the is or is not the original? Is the original. Okay, and, and then who's cover? And then the, it's covered by this band called the Eagles of Death Metal. You've told me about them in the past, okay. And it is a lot, in my opinion, better. Let me let me make sure that I'm saying the the name of the song right save a prayer yes save a prayer yeah and it is like a lot i like it better i like it's like it's it doesn't again it is the same but it is not the same right so hold on pause one second i gotta get my charger go ahead I 
I'm, I actually thought of a of a two covers. Okay. That I like better than the original. Ooh. Okay. So number one is the Men Who Sold the World, covered by Nirvana. I think it's better than the Bowie version. Okay. Oh, uh, I love the Nirvana version from Unplugged. Yes. Yeah, that's great. And, and, um, what is called? Um, and there's a, a cover made by Eddie Vedder and the guy from the with the Strokes of All Along the Watchtower. Ah, which I also think is pretty good. I was actually going to bring up All Along the Watchtower because okay. the Jimi Hendrix version... It's also a cover. <laughs> it's also a cover, and that's the one most people are like, oh, that's that's the one, right? Yeah, yeah. But I think that the other version is even better. And But you would go Eddie Vedder and The Strokes followed by Jimi Hendrix, followed by Bob... D- I know because you don't really like Bob. Yeah, D- I, I just... Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah, there, there's a couple, and I try and write them down, and I just found like a list from, from uh-huh. who knows when... Um, another one I have on there is Holy Diver. Okay. So obviously there's the original version, um, by, was it, is it Rainbow? I think so. Yeah. Right. It, Cause I know it was a deal. It's not Black Sabbath. So no. it must be Rainbow. Um, this contemporary metal band Killswitch Engage did okay. a cover of Holy Diver. And that's, it's not like a totally different style, but it's just like. What would this sound like if it was a contemporary like metalcore song made today? And it's actually super cool because the guy in that band has a really great voice, very operatic like Dio, yeah. and there's screams and stuff. Um, and then just two more that I think of. One, the Joe Cocker version of "A Little Help with My Friends" okay. from my friends, right? And people will know that either from Woodstock. Or the theme song to The Wonder Years. Yes. That's the one I'm talking about. And the other one, which people don't realize is a cover. This is going to be very strange, you're going to think, and millennial of me. Um, there was an 80s hair band song, and I can't think of who did the original version. I don't know if it's a famous or not famous person. Do you know this song, Heaven? Yeah. <laughs> yeah? Okay. In the... It's at late 90s, I believe. I don't think it was 2000. I think it was late 90s. There was this trance cover of Heaven by really? DJ Sammy. This like female electronic thing. Huh. And that's like the version that you like me better. and people my age grew up with. And I think it's fantastic. That song comes on and I'm like, this is one of the greats. <laughs> and it's I, so I've- much better. I have two more. One that we both have listened to because we listened okay. to in, in your car last time we we're no last time we were in the car together. No, because it was yesterday. Last time we were in the car together, but the last time we were in the car together for a more extended period of time, which is Low Potion Number Nine. Remember? Yes, the, so you're playing me this band that does all these covers. Yes, and I think that that version is better than the original. And and that's going to surprise you, the Romeo and Juliet version. Uh, by the killers is 10,000 times better than the Dire Straits one. Uh, so I actually don't know that Dire Straits song, but I know you have a hate-hate relationship with them. Yeah. I do like the killers, okay. so I'm open to that. Yeah, but, but you know, what, what are we saying here, right? When we say that the cover is better than the original, 
doesn't yeah. throw out the window all the things that we have said up to now? It's a good question, and I don't think it does because a couple of reasons. First of all, I think what we're saying is at least two possibilities. One possibility is one version somehow creates... I'll save the more difficult one for a second. The, the easier one is it takes the, the spirit of the song, but in another vibe. And for some reason, we're preferring this quote-unquote vibe, yeah. at least momentarily. The other one is like we think somehow, unbeknownst to the creator or something, the person made the spirit of the song become manifest in, in a truer way. Right, this kind of like unconcealment, this aletheia, like this is no, 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 this somehow, but it's so rare, it's so rare. I mean, there's hundreds of thousands, like we know thousands and thousands and thousands of songs, right? There's a handful, a very small handful that are even notable. So I think you know, you might get the impression while listening to this that we, this is a long list, and it's, it's not, it's not. So I don't think it throws out what we're saying so i want to stop you there for a second because you said something that made me think okay uh are we implying because it could be i I don't i don't think i i don't think i think this but maybe i think that i don't know that i think it um are we implying that there is a spirit of the song that it's that can be uncovered and that is independent Hmm. from the composer originator or we want to call it are we platonic when it comes to music are we saying there is like this thing it's like like you know michelangelo says that you see the the block of of granite the block of marble and he knows that michelangelo that the, the david is there no he, he just etches right. it out because it's right. there uh, i think this is really hard because this is getting back to those like ontological questions about music like what is the song what is the album what is yep. the riff it's really hard because i think there's an element about what we're saying that is platonic okay and there's an element that's not and the element that's not is the fact that we're attaching the spirit to certain actualities okay like a Black Sabbath song is a Black Sabbath song largely because of the guitar tone of Tony Iommi, like playing in a specific way. You can't just some other schmuck playing it in a different kind of distortion and be like, oh, that's the thing. Mm. There's something integrally connected to that, uh, those particulars, which is ultimately related to what we we're saying about the essential properties of the people, right? But you were also talking about the spirit of the song. Is that different? Yes. I think that's a good question. Like, what what do we mean? What's the platonic element of this if it is there? Is it the thing that touches us, kind of, as listeners? Is it the thing that escapes us as maker makers of music? I mean, the easy answer, and I'm not sure this is um, totally correct. You might just say the spirit of the song are the is the uh, the forms, meaning the notes, the arrangement, right? Like those kind of things, almost like the blueprint. I don't know. But that, that, that doesn't seem to be what I meant. Nope. 
right? Because I also said that the spirit of a song has a certain vibe. It has like a perceptual effect on you. It has a pre-perceptual effect on you. It's very primal, as I said before. Um, Is it part of those things that we kind of hinting at yesterday, those immaterial stuff hmm. that happen. Is that part of... Oh, I would say, you know me. <laughs> I'm going to say, obviously. <laughs> I know, I know. But if that's the case, where are they? It's like, are they subjective? Oh, you know, I don't think they're uh, subjective. I think that's 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 very glib. I, I think they're probably intersubjective and not just in the obvious way, but I mean in the way that like when everyone's at a show of a band they love i suspect that it's for the most part the same thing all of those people are tapping into yeah and to say even more generally like a set song is a set song for everybody there's nobody yeah. who's gonna say like oh this song is happy right right and if you like if you meet a fan uh like a diehard of some fan like if i'm talking to someone who loves coheed or loves pink floyd or the mars volta or deftones or radiohead or whatever and you, once you establish that you guys both have this thing, it's like something changes. Yeah. There's like a wall between you that's removed and you now understand something about the other person and you can communicate things and you know that your language is like indicating the same referent. Absolutely. So I think there is a kind of shared universal thing that everyone is tapping into. And I think that it has both elements of the actualities and elements that transcend the actualities as like some kind of epiphenomena, you know, on, on behalf of the listener. I don't know. Yeah, and it's. I think it's interesting oh, talking about the relationship amongst amongst fans, right? Because usually fans of the same kind, because they're different kind of fans, right? Which is an, another good conversation. Yes, will identify as their favorite songs or the least favorite songs of the band that they love mm-hmm. as the same one, right? We will yes. all. But it's kind of the conversation we were having about Tarantino before, and the music, and the and the and the actual uh, films. I mean, we didn't know which one was the, the 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 films that we preferred, and which one was the least favorite. But we kind of ended up landing in the same spot again. We did, and right. we didn't know that about. We were both like, "Oh, Reservoir Dogs, probably yeah, yeah. as like the favorite." And then we're like, oh, even though it's good, Django maybe is the least favorite. Exactly. So there is something to be said there. And I wonder if this is like just our opinion and if this is like general opinion. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, this is why it's so jarring when you meet someone and they say something different. Yeah. You're like, what? <laughs> like, and it's I- like you're talking to a Pink Floyd fan and they're like, oh, yeah, the best album is like Hamagama. <laughs> I'm a gumma, right? They just say something <laughs> weird, and you're like, wait, wait, what? But if anyone says one of the set few, like I, I look at album rankings sometimes, and a lot of the times, maybe there's slight differences, but there's general like rules everyone agrees on, okay. right? Like, and I feel like with with Deftones, everyone's like, yep, White Pony, right? And if not that, maybe you say around the fur and actually some people say diamond eyes which was post your time yeah but if people say if i read lists sometimes me and my friend have funny conversations where we're like what the hell is this this person talking about because it makes you think like you don't get it you're like tapping into something else right and that brings up the different types of fans thing because 
there's bands I love, I've talked about this, that still make music, but it's like very clearly not the same type of like they're doing something different. And yet there's still fan fanboys, you call them, right? That are like just as good, better than this. Yeah. And I, I'm like, okay, I don't believe you. Right. I think what you're doing is like you just can't let go of this thing, and so you're justifying reasons to still like them. Or there's a fraction of a fraction of a fraction, and you're holding on and just hoping it was this other thing, but it's yeah. not, and you, you just can't come to terms with this stuff. And, and let me let me ask you if you if you feel this way too. I think it's easier to understand somebody that doesn't like the band you like rather than people that completely don't get it and they like Ooh. stuff that yeah i mean that's like when me and you have conversations we're like you know sometimes you have more fervent disagreements with the hair splitting yeah than with the people who are on different islands totally and i think that that says something though like, again something that we can extrapolate for the music things right it's easier sometimes you get into you are more prone to fervent disagreements and uh, fights and, and all these things with people that are in the same camp as you are, but they are off. They're, they're turning you off because they're like, how can you don't understand this? Mm -hmm. Right. And people that are completely saying, no, this is not for me because I think that we are able to, accept that not everyone thinks the same things that we think but the moment the people enter our headspace we get very upset if they don't conform to to what we think it should be right i guess that's that's absolutely right and i i think the perfect analogy is like family yeah right that the way you get mad at your family is not how you get mad at anyone else the the intense feelings you have with your significant other is not the same as you have like you'll argue with your family or have little moments with your family and there's like these significant things happening behind the scenes that are unspoken and like if you get into a fight or something happens it's like the entirety of your being is in that moment versus a stranger. You just kind of don't care. And I think it has something to do with trust and this idea that with the openness and the sharedness comes expectations. You feel betrayed when somebody understands exactly. and then he doesn't understand, right? Yes, because like, wait, 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 no, I thought we were the same. It's because you become more vulnerable, with the shared people. And, and I, there's a lot more at stake there. And I wonder if this is, and again, a little tangent and we'll come back immediately. If this is the issue in the United States right now, kind of, right? Whew, yeah, that's good. If there is like so much, if people are like feel betrayed because, hey, wait a minute. We share the same thing. Mm -hmm. We know what's going on. Let's... That's made it as simple as possible. We share the same dream, right? The American dream. We share that. How can you not get that in mm. order to get where we need to be, we need to do this? And the other, the other side says, well, we need to do this. And this is why there is this, this hatred and this contraposition. And it's like you'll hate those people 
way more than people outside of that group who that, are doing objectively worse things times a hundred. Like you'll yes. side with those people. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And I, I, or even people that hate you. It's just like f you, mom. Yeah, right? it, that's the exa- kind of thing. Th- that's the idea. That you know, maybe there are those people from the outside that are doing something terrible, and they want to destroy you, but you don't hate them the same way. You hate the people that share your mental space. Yeah, there's like more rebellion within the in group than not. And you know, going back to that music, that seems to be the case. It's this is why you feel like, what do you mean you like Pink Floyd, but Hamagama is your favorite? Wow. And it, I think it's because the, the the yin and yang aspect, because there's more deep, intense, positive feeling possibilities too. Like those things go hand in hand. The fact that there's a deeper connection on a, a positive level is related yeah. to the fact that there's more of a feeling of betrayal in a, in a negative sense. Absolutely. Absolutely. Which... We're talking about, you know, when we're talking about feeling of betrayal, the, the, the fight, the, the, this emotional stuff. Maybe that tells us the music operates at that level more than anything else. Uh, yeah. You were saying not on a linguistic level or a pre-linguistic one. Maybe it just operates on a, on a, how can we say, uh, on an emotional level in a way that it's more, which is strange, right? Uh, that is, is more... Uh, what can we say primordial than than we might we might think? Yeah, and so you know, there's there's two approaches, and we don't have to get into which one's right. But either it's happening at a level of consciousness that we're not aware of, because the awareness operates on a let's say more upper level, and by definition can't tap into a, a level. That's underneath it. Yeah. Um, or it is just ineffable, like in the most literal sense. And I think this this ultimately is the route to, to answering your question of like, what are we doing when we when we be with music, either as yep. a writer or as a listener? And it's I, kind of weird. It is. So not only is it really passionate, but it's a weird thing. Like, do you ever have these moments, music or not, where you're doing something. I have this fairly often um, where you're in the middle of something and it's like really serious and showing up as intrinsically meaningful and intense. But then you have uh, this kind of like moment where you're out of it and you're like, this is kind of weird. It's like, you know how you're typically familiar with your hand and then sometimes, for some reason, something gets screwed up in your perception where you see your hand as other and it looks like an alien limb and you're like, what the, what the hell is that? I feel like there's that element with with not only music but art and even non-art things where you're like, okay, wait, wait, wait. So you're putting all of your being <laughs> into this thing and what you're doing, you know me specifically is so you're just like really heavily slamming your arm against this piece of wood and like yelling and doing these weird movements like that's weird from an objective perspective and yet you don't think that because there's something happening it's like this very 
tribalistic dance, this weird, um, repeatable series of events and patterns that you put your all into that an alien would look at and be like, what the fuck is this guy doing, right? It's like, it's almost inconceivable to someone who hasn't had the experience and is inconceivable to people who don't get music or to people who don't get certain types of things. You know what I mean by this? It's like you're doing some weird dance, in other words. No, no, I understand what you're saying. And uh, you you get... If you if you take a step back, you'll be like really weirded out of what this whole thing. I mean, if you break it down, it's like what what are we even doing here, right? What is this thing that we're doing? Um, and and I think that's interesting because it tells something about the nature of this thing, right? That it is not a common, it's not your everyday conscious aware experience exactly it it is tapping into something that needs to happen on a below the surface level because the moment it comes out of the below the surface level then it's we 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 are worded out ourselves it's like i don't know the the thing that i can compare it to is like you know when enough has happened to you like this is not enough this doesn't happen often, right? But sometimes, either through video or through mirrors and stuff like that, we get to look at ourselves kind of from the side. And when you look at it, it's like, is this me? Mm. I you you don't you don't look like yourself, right? There's yeah. something different there. And that kind of, as you're saying, like the same thing with the hand, right? It throws you off. And I think that emerging out of making uh, rational, rationalizing better, that this all music experience as a listener and as a as a composer as a maker, it has kind of the same effect. I agree, and I think this is why. Like you know how not all people are like this, right? Because there's general dispositional differences, but this explains at least partially why you're willing to do things by yourself and less so to do it in front of people. Like people who sing are often like this. Like you could be so confident in your ability. Are you like this? Yeah. In your ability to sing and you do it all the time and go for it. But they're like, do it in this shared setting. And you're like, no, 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 no. Because there's something in quote unquote embarrassing for some people about this because it's like, I'm showing you my insides, and that's really weird. Yeah. It's like almost there's this repulsion, there's this grossness. There, like it, it's and it's analogous to other things, right? It's and there's a, there's several activities we do like this. You know, besides music, it could be dancing and singing. It could be sex. It could be it writing. Could be, it could be writing. It could be. Um, talking to yourself it could be art right like you drawing things the way you talk to certain people you wouldn't talk to other people right like your intimate language your this group language so there's something i don't want to say vulgar about it but there's something intimate that's what i think the word is intimate i I think i think that's that's what it is yeah there's something very deeply you that makes you feel vulnerable 
because if you're going for it, you're you're yeah. going for it. Yeah, and uh, you know, you we were saying like below the surface is ineffable or stuff like that. Uh, actually, a friend of mine uh, studied. Uh, he graduated from, and and he's a sound engineer, right? Thing that I didn't know is that sound engineers study also some stuff that I wouldn't expect them to study. And he was telling me that he took like several classes where they were teaching them the specific the specific frequencies elicit specific moods. And they're able to touch on specific unconscious levels of our mind pretty much. And I'm not talking about like, you know, minors are they 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 they're like sadder notes, right? A my you, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, you mean much more complex like much more interesting than basic things like that. Yes, yes. So that makes me feel that makes me think that this is quantifiable assuming that that's true right assuming that, that this actually works uh that it is quantifiable and therefore is not ineffable but it is happening somehow well this is actually something that that guy roholt talks about in his groove book and he he takes a, a few examples of other stuff i've been reading i can't remember these philosophers names but the idea is that the cause or the let's say the the instrumental aspects of the musical act are quantifiable are reducible but the perceptual effects are not and that distinction is important hmm what is you know that if that this thing done in this way for some reason produces this outcome in you as a listener or a writer. But that's that's distinct from knowing exactly on a effable level what what the thing is happening in you. It's kind of the qualia thing. Yeah, sure. Okay. You you can know what it's like an easy problem and a hard problem, right? Yeah, like right. you can know what correlates with certain qualia, um, but the qualia itself is that's the hard, that's the tricky part. That's the unpredictable part. Yeah. Oh, well, that, that makes sense. Or at least not unpredictable, but unreducible part. And only understandable loosely by um, analogy. Like in the, yeah. um, Rohold also talks about this idea that musicians, when they want to communicate something to each other, like guys in bands, they won't ever refer to the mechanics of the thing they'll refer loosely to the effects right like you'll be talking to your singer or drummer or guitar player and you're like oh i want it to sound more like the the re-release album version of this at this part and they go oh it's like you're pointing at the ineffable thing Right, and you have the same ref, uh, referent, not reference. Uh, let's say signifiers. So without, I think he calls it indirect uh, understanding. So like you're indirectly uh, getting the thing without directly linguizing the thing, and that's the best we got. 
because I know that this may elicit the same kind of thing in you perceptually, but I, I can't say that perceptual thing itself. That's interesting. And yeah, that makes sense. That reminds me of some conversation within the band. Uh, that, that definitely makes sense. Um, I'm thinking, so we are, we have said, uh, we have said a few things uh, regarding this, this, what music is and what it means to, 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 to make it, right? And what, what elicits in people, even though, you know, we can, we can have like six episodes just on this latter part, right? Um, but I think it will be interesting and fun for us to go and touch upon the stuff that we said before a little bit, meaning what makes music good, right? Oh. And maybe, <laughs> and maybe with some examples, right? Yeah, uh, of stuff because I, you know, I think that will be that'll be fun to do, you know. And we all have our idiosyncrasies, right? And I, yeah. I've told you this before. I don't know if I've said this on the podcast or not, but I know I've told you before. I believe that there are certain things that I don't like, that I truly despise, but it's hard for me to justify that in terms, this is bad music, right? Mm. There are some things that are good music, and I still don't like it. And, I don't know, Bob Dylan, right? Will be one of these. And upset uh, a lot of people with that. Yeah, uh, and, uh, you know, and there are a few others that we could say. But then there are things that I believe are, and this is going to, piss people off objectively crap and not not good music at all if music at all yeah um and so first of all how do you feel about this and then um i also believe that in a general sense there are quote-unquote objective i.e intersubjective yes i don't want to call them criteria but conditions that determine either binarily or on a scale whether something is good or bad or, or better or worse yeah sure okay just like with food just like sure. with lots of things uh the question becomes then which one are these criteria right yeah and how can we justify our choices that way right yeah, because I know with food, people are going to be like, but it's taste, right? That's the literal yeah. embodiment of taste. <laughs> but so, let, let, let's indulge me here. Tell me sure. a band or a musician or somebody that you think does, at best, pure music, <laughs> poor music, like really. <laughs> okay, so I'll start. Wait, I want to start with a property that I think is, is okay. I feel strongly about. And I've, I've said this before when this is the conflation of good and is, but. I think things that reach, I think things that try make the music bad because in the moment of trying, you cease to be in a flow. You cease to be um, having an aesthetic experience and something jumps higher on your value scale for a moment and it makes the music inauthentic and it breaks. It literally breaks. Like the phenomena stops. Your hammer is no longer a hammer in that moment. Okay. And so I think whenever I see things that try hard in music or in movies, or in anything. It's why you have this feeling, we have this word for it, cringe, yep. right? And some people are more sensitive than others, or bad acting, right? Like when this stands out to you, it's like 
So Heidegger has this distinction between the ready to hand and the present at hand. Um, and it's not exactly the same as this because he uses these words in the context of tools or like useful items, handy items. And the idea is that when you are doing something and it's going well, you're not actually in an active sense um, aware of the objective properties and processes happening. And in fact, you can't be because if you were, you wouldn't be having this flow state experience. And the example that Dreyfus talks about is hammering. Mm -hmm. right? He's famous for saying when you're hammering, the carpenter is not like at this moment, at this angle, I am pounding the nail at this location with this force. Because if you ask anyone that makes anything, that's what screws you up. Like you can't, you just have to just mm -hmm. stop thinking. You become like almost this... I don't want to say a machine, but you just become the happening, right? Dreyfus is very zen-like. And when you start thinking about these things on a conscious level, uh, on an active conscious level, I don't want to say conscious because passive consciousness is still consciousness, um, at least to the Husserlians who have this right, um, <laughs> then the thing breaks, right? When you start thinking about the bodily movements the the sex stops in mm -hmm. the way right when you start thinking about the objective properties of the music and what's happening in your brain the aesthetic experience stops when you start thinking about um what's happening in the movie theater around you or objectively on the screen the aesthetic experience stops so i think when when songwriters quote unquote um or music has things in it that makes this happen that is bad music, and I can tell you're you're trying. And so, isn't that though an external characteristic, right? I feel uh, that that, that is okay. not a characteristic of the music itself, but it's, it's kind of the fact that this thing is pointing out at something external. Mm. That's what ruins it. So Good I'd, question. I don't. So I think there's a distinction between like. <sighs> The noetic versus the noematic conditions. So, sorry, just to, just to make this more clear, right? It would be yeah. to me this is similar to say that this the music X is not music or is not good music because it is political, right? To me, that's not a fact of the music, right? There's an external factor that kind of the music is pointing at, and if you don't like that. It's not that you don't like the music, you just don't like the fact that it's pointing at something. To me, it's similar to it would be like Rage Against the Machine, bad music because they're political, right? Hmm. I understand I think I understand the distinction you're making. I think the reason I lump them together is because they're both on the uh the Noema side. They're both like noematic yeah. act um on the object side of consciousness. So Okay, if you want me to just talk about the formal qualities in the music itself, absent, well, I think my point is like those quote-unquote external things manifest in the form somehow. Yeah. But if you want something and to, more to, literal, I'll say lack of innovation. Okay. Right? Like it's not to say that the good tried and true old-fashioned structures don't work, but I think sometimes it shows up as uninspired. And this is the case in a lot of current pop music. I'm not going to say pop music as such because there's wonderful pop music. 
like throughout history. But there's ways you can do it that make it better or worse than other ways. Um, so that is the canon issue, right? You're it supposed could to, be. You're supposed to be within a canon, but you still need to innovate the canon. If you don't, that also, makes it really bad. This is. T- I wonder if we're just landing on Aristotle because I was going to say <laughs> it can't be simplicity versus complexity because oversimplicity is like annoying sometimes. Doesn't have to be though. Same thing with overcomplexity for the sake of it. But there's like some arrangement of those two things which is optimal. I mean. <laughs> And, and this is why you have like the prog rock that I would say is good, which is like Pink Floyd, or at least some of Pink, most of Pink Floyd, Rush, um, at least some period of the Mars Volta versus the stuff that's like over complex for the sake of it, which I'm like, dude, this is like, why it, at that it? point, it's, it's, so to go back to what you're saying earlier, at that point, it's less about the music and more of like, trying hard to do something other than what you're trying to do when you're trying to do inspired music it becomes like showing off some form of technique that you master and i'm showing you that i can do this exactly it's 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 like look at the technique not look at the music so and i think that some people you know and i suspect that these are the same people they're saying that everything is music right some people would say that there's no such thing as bad music right because right. because they identify bad music with somebody just messing up something, right? They're not doing, they're not playing right. Uh, but that's not the issue, right? That is, our issue is like, with the music that is played right, are there stuff that are not good or not even music? This is a good question because I think all the things I'm saying is like depending on how you use them. Yeah. Right? It it could be good or bad. So if the question is are there like musical phrases or types of things formally that could be done that instantly resonate with me as bad. So we refer I have to, one in mind. I we, have one in mind. Go tell me then. Go ahead. And I don't know if this truly is because of the thing itself. Okay. Or because of just the way it has been used, in which case it fails to meet uh, criteria for the answer of your question. Auto-tune? Yes. And this actually came up a few years back. So auto-tune, historically, the way it played out was used in a certain kind of music with certain kinds of musicians who have certain kinds of skills or non-skills. And so you're like, this is stupid. This is bullshit. This is not. This is garbage, right? Um, and it, since I, I attach it so heavily to that, it's really hard for me to not see that. But there was a moment. There's some moments where I know people are trying to use it artistically. Like, I think Bon Iver on his some of his later stuff was using some auto tune. I know. And this one, share. I don't have a problem with in like a, a Mars. What's that? Share. <laughs> what was that? Oh, share. No, no, no. I think share is good because that was the first one. Like believe is like the first song that yeah. you know mainstreamly used auto tune, and that's or like blue by uh, Eiffel sixty five, right? Like that's a cool, awesome original song. A- Italian band, by the way. That's right. It's yeah, straight out of Italy. Um, but 
like we were watching Twin Peaks a few years back, the the third season, so the new one. And you know, at the end of all of those, or most of them, it would be they were at. Oh, I'm mad at myself. What's what's the hangout like? The lounge, the barn, oh. the hangout. Not the Black Lodge, obviously. It's the other thing. I know what you're talking about. Oh. This is going to piss me off as someone who is like very obsessed with David Lynch, and I can't think of this right now. Anyway, he would always feature like an original band at the end of it, which was so cool on so many levels. But one of them he featured was a female vocalist who was using autotune. And I remember I kind of got brought out of the experience, like that, that adjacently ready to hand experience the aesthetic experience was broken because i associate this so on like um a pre-reflective level with those bad things and i think claire was like you know i it presented in another context if that history didn't happen i don't think you'd have that reaction True. and i think that's right but if that's right that's still not an objectively bad thing and i think i'm going to end with i don't know if there are objectively <laughs> bad things or if well, everything is just contingent on the attitude and the historical usage uh, and I, while you were talking i was trying to to think of why you know we referenced him on this podcast multiple times right yeah why is bieber the guy that mm. epitomizes bad music for me <sighs> And I don't know. Is there something I can point at? I could say a bunch of things that I think you'd think of. Like, it has something to do with the fact that he was really young. Okay. So I think that probably what you have is this youth of a certain kind is annoying. No, no, I know, no, no. But I'm trying to say, like, aside from from the the, the psychological issues, right? And the, the yeah, is there anything bad about his music? Is that a real thing? Uh, well, apparently, he at least he was making good music in the beginning. A lot of people say because he he could sing and play a guitar. And it's and I'm thinking, and then I was thinking, well, another one that I don't like at all. And this is like global phenomenon, right? So I must be the one that's wrong. It's like Taylor Swift, right? Oh, I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> And that's where people turn this off. Exactly. It's like, why? Why? Yeah, I think the Taylor Swift phenomena is super interesting because Claire and I actually talk about this a lot. We're not like Taylor Swift fans. You're not Swifties? We're not uh, Swifties. Some of our friends are, and a lot of my students are. And Claire... Like everybody in my house is. She recently had this moment where she was like, you know... Even if I don't get it completely, I think I get it because in an objective sense, she is the best of our generation in a pop situation. That is scary, dude. Because she's lasted the longest. Think of how long she's been playing and she's like more popular now. Than she ever was. And she's an actual songwriter that yeah. plays guitar and sings. And when you compare it to everything else, you're like, well, yeah, she's still doing the traditional I got you. music no. thing. I know what you're saying. I know what you're saying. It's So I think There's, yeah, that would, there must be, be and again, and it's not uh you know, old grumpy old man versus millennia here. Uh I was talking uh, to my daughter actually the other day, and I was telling her that I actually like I don't even Actually, like this this singer songwriter Olivia Rodrigo, which is 
Wait, wait, wait. Hold on. I'm going to pause right there. You don't like Paramore, but you like Olivia Rodrigo. Yes. She is heavily influenced by Haley Williams. I don't care. Okay, fair. <laughs> I think she's pretty cool, too. I've heard a couple of her songs. And I, I, I like her. And I them. think she's very, she sounds very 90s. On top and she, of it's unique, too. She's unique. She hasn't, so it's not the new thing. I don't like new things. Mm-hmm. That's not the issue, but there are certain, and I cannot pinpoint them. There are certain things. And I think, and maybe that's what it is. I think that I believe that some artists get too popular for my taste. Mm. And then I don't understand why they get too popular. You don't then, think they deserve it. And I get annoyed and then I don't like it. Yeah, I get it. People are going to be like, you guys are a bunch of hipsters. But that was a thing. That was a big thing with me growing up where like people were obsessed with certain things. Like growing up, um, Fall Out Boy was really big. And now I actually can listen to Fall Out Boy and be like, you know, there there are some really great songs yeah. that these guys wrote. Um, ones that I think I'd be willing to say like define my generation. I'd feel comfortable doing that. And I- but I think what it was was because back then I saw the obsession and I was super like I actually played guitar and I liked bands that were playing more interesting music. And I'm like. This is like what these like aren't artists, right? And people were obsessed with Pete Wentz, who is the bassist. And I'm like, this guy's playing four notes. What are you talking about? <laughs> exactly, exactly. Maybe there was jealousy because he was dating Ashley Simpson, who was one of my big crushes growing up. But I think that ticks people off sometimes when they're really attached to the, the um, craftsmanship of something, <laughs> but- and they see people coming up with they're like, but they're not even te- in a technical sense deserving of this thing I, I, I don't know it's and to me some of it is though it's also conceptual it's not just technical i think that the vibe that things give to use the terminology we were using before it's so i don't know if i, I feel like it's empty there's no vibe there it's, it's vacuous it's vibe it's like unesthetic i get I, what you mean it's like it's almost i know that there is music that's supposed to make you move, right? There's music that you listen to dance to, right? Yep. But I think that some music is just... is only doing that, right? It's just making you move without giving you anything else. Mm. And to me, that is not what even pop music is supposed to do. It's supposed to give you something else that is not giving you... And I feel, I feel like this about a lot of this great, great stuff. Again, Taylor Swift, uh, Justin Bieber, Beyonce. Uh, Uh-oh. <laughs> like, like I, I can name like a yeah. lot of them, really a lot of them. I, there was a period I despised Lady Gaga as well. Mm, interesting. But then, I, I, always, I always liked her more growing so, up than and, the others. And some... Some things that happen, and sometimes I'm able to go back and reevaluate and be like, no, wait a minute. People were obsessed with her. Therefore, I got annoyed at it. But she's not bad, right? Actually, she yeah. there is something there. But with others, I just can't. I don't know. And it makes you wonder, and then we can end after this, cause, and I'm wondering if maybe we could do like a secret, like a paywall continued music episode for people yeah. who like hearing us uh, blabber about music. Um <laughs> Yeah, we need What's to, we need to make a list Idiosyncratically. of 10, our 10 favorite bands. And then least favorite things. Yes. Um, but it makes you wonder when these things are super famous and they aren't good, right? Because what we're saying is not every 
it's dumb to say that everything that's famous is bad. And I think this with movies too. Absolutely. Like there's movies that are really famous that are great and I think deserve to be famous. Absolutely. Like Remember the Titan is not bad because it's famous. Forrest Gump, I don't know, I feel like we talked about this, but I forget what you said. It's not bad because it's famous. I actually think it's really good. Absolutely. Um, uh, but there are some things that are famous where you're like, no, no, no. I don't know what people are doing when they're listening to this. And it makes you be like, I don't think this is an aesthetic experience. I don't think this is me. I think something else weird is happening here. And it's not quite music, but I can't explain what it is, right? It's like we feel that somebody's being duped into thinking that that's good and it's fun. It's like, and, and to me, it's like, this is what we call a commercial music, right? It, you're being like, it's being advertised differently. It's a lovely yes, place. Yes. You get used to listening to this four notes. And you're like, oh, this is happy. Everybody's listening to it. Let me partake in this. But it's not about the music. It's about. It, it's Because you, you're like, we're like having this religious experience, right? And so when people are, we expect that when people say they like music, that's what they're having a religious experience of. And when we see the low quality of it, we go, no way, this is bad. So but I, if we think like people use music more instrumentally, like to get me through my drive home, mm-hmm. to do the mood for my going out tonight, then we're like, it makes sense. And oh, by the way, that's not exactly music, how we conceive of music. I, and I think you just said something that, you know, it's interesting. You compare it to religious experience. Because maybe it's the same relationship that somebody might have when you see somebody like falling for a cult. And you're like, how can you not see Hmm. that these people are going to take your money and possibly have you kill yourself so they can inherit everything (laughs) that you have? And you believe that they're telling you something that it's valuable, that's going to save your soul, it's going to send you somewhere. Uh, And some can say that this is about all religions, but, you know, it's just definitely for cults you're looking from the outside you're like what are you doing this is not it this is not what you shouldn't be doing this maybe it's kind of the same thing and similarly i think it's kind of like if you have a catholic like a like a real catholic um talking about a protestant (laughs) right they're like what are you doing you're not even where's the aesthetic where's the drama where's the blood sweat and like this is you're just not doing anything i think it's similar to that (laughs) my mom first time they came here uh and she wanted to go to church so my wife brought her to church but it's not a catholic church it was a Protestant okay my, my mom went into the thing it's like this is not even a church <laughs> what what is this you're in a building right, right. and who's this guy where is the old ritual stuff and so, so yes i feel like there's so much more to be said here yeah and like while I like classical rap, if I may call it that, um, I have a strong aversion to a lot of the contemporary hip hop so and the can, way it sounds. Can you give me uh, two names of classical rap for you? Sure. So I love Biggie. Oh, okay. I love Notorious B.I.G. I think Ready to Die. I've listened to that album hundreds of times. Okay. I think it is wonderful, wonderful, wonderful in terms of like the vibe it gives off, mm-hmm. his flow, the lyrics, the the seriousness, the funniness. I'm like, wow, this this is so good. Gotcha. Um, he's the one I love most. Well, I also I love Eminem, like old Eminem, the first three albums so i was about to say the first three are good 
the first one that no one talks about is Infinite, which was very old school and cool sounding. And then you got this, mostly the Slim Shady LP and the Marshall Mathers LP. Again, hundreds of times. I'm like, this is an artist. This is so good. Like the, it, it perfectly um, walks the line between serious and silly and like lighthearted. But I'm going to show you some like real artistry, some craftsmanship. And then, you know, like new stuff comes out like Cardi B or I don't L- even know a, a lot of the names like of this stuff. L- Lil John. Dude, you're showing your age. Little John is not new. Little John is like no, so no, no. 2005. Well, but newer than, than Biggie. Even that was that was called crunk. That was like let's fuse dance music with rap and hip hop. And Little John was huge. That was me going to teen night when I was younger <laughs> when that stuff came out. Little John, oh god. Yeah, uh, but but I know what you're saying. Like the the, the new stuff that it's coming out. Yeah, we actually, me and Claire once were like, when did. When did hip hop start becoming bad? And we traced it back to like a specific year where the singles started using sounds that were very different from the previous ones. And then all of the thing we don't like in the new stuff were like, oh my God, that traces back to this. And it's not even super famous people all the time. So I we got to redo that because it, it went back to, I think, the the late mid 2000s i believe is when it started i got you now and and to clarify i know very little about hip-hop because it wasn't big in italy Mm. and i was never i was never attracted to it because it was like an alien culture to me but you're like i don't get this i i I don't get so i have i have a couple of albums or very very old old things that i bought purposely when i was younger to f- try to figure out like i was doing some sort of genealogy of these things right <laughs> i'm like under i'm doing an experiment and, I, and i'm going back to figure out and i have like some public enemy stuff uh okay. i have some some iced stuff right uh right. like some some body count i think was the was the the, the name of the of the band where iced was like yeah yeah and, and I'm, I'm looking at these things i have of course some which i think it's different than this but some Beastie Boys stuff as well, right? Sure, sure. So I'm looking at these things and trying to figure out, and I just couldn't. So mm. the the Ice-T stuff that I have, I like. The Public Enemy stuff that I have, I can listen to it. I like it. But I know that I'm missing something. Well, Ice-T is easier probably for you too because he has that connection to punk music because like Correct. he played in a punk band exactly so you're like oh i you know i see where it's coming from but everything One, else is like so alien to me that i i i truly feel that i will feel like an imposter saying yeah. oh i get this because i don't right right so i think we we should end on a, a funny note so i think there's one thing in music that me and you disagree on. Sure. <laughs> and Elton, it's very Elton European. John. <laughs> Besides Elton John, it's very European. Yeah. Which is I have such an attachment to mid to late nineties, early two thousands. Um what would you call it? I don't know what the official name for this is. Freestyle dance. Almost like the the Euro pop, the the European trance music. Okay. That was like popular. Okay. So like Just give me a couple of examples. So the famous one in America would be like Labouche or Labouche, like depending on how you say it. He's shaking his head. Um like this kind of stuff or ah, 
What are the other ones? Because this is tough because these are ones where it's more songs. But there's like three or four of these musical groups that I like. I hear it and I'm just, I am just, oh man, I am in this headspace that is magical. And I know uh, a lot of these guys were European and I know you hate this. Yes, I do. <laughs> I do. I don't, I just don't get it. I just mm. don't get it. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. That one will be continued. And maybe, like I said, maybe we'll do it uh, more in depth, which is funny because this is already overtime in depth um, kind of paywall episode where you get to learn a little bit more about us musically. Musically, yeah. Our things here. So I hope you guys stuck around for that. I think that was super cool. Yeah. I think um, sometimes I'm very hesitant about combining music and philosophy because philosophy is this very like civilized intellectual version of me whereas music is this very like uh uncivil primal thing and i think to to combine the two is almost to ruin both but i think if done the right way you can do it and i've been trying to push myself on that recently doing a lot of this like aesthetic experience research and and writing which will hopefully come to fruition in in the form of a, a published article yeah I but, always, uh, yeah. I, I agree with you 100%. And when doing philosophy and when, when talking about this, I always say I'm able to be rational and think about stuff. And when it comes to music, I always say there's this, there's like a right way and a wrong way. I have my ways and <laughs> everybody else is wrong. Like, That's but jo- funny. But jokes aside, it's, it's a, it's difficult because one is on a on a primal level and the other one instead is to be civilized and, and filtered, right? Because otherwise it's not the thing. I think uh, that's a good way of ending. Of ending this thing. All right. So I hope you guys have this probably coming out like around Thanksgiving. Yeah. So let's end. I'll say let the music play. Okay. Here you go. Don't fight with your with your uncle. There you go. See ya. See ya. So when you started,